Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. All right, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter six. We're in part three of a series called Behind the Scenes, and you saw the, the movie intro. It was like, how does that connect with what we're talking? Are we talking about movie clips? No. But there's this, there's this thought that I had that, that when you look at our life, there is what we see in the natural. You guys woke up this morning, you took a shower, you put on clothes, you ate breakfast, you drove here. All of that's taking place in the natural. But while you were doing all that, preparing to get here in the natural, we were cultivating things in the spiritual here for you. We pray for you every Sunday morning before you guys get here. We spend time praying over seats, over instruments, praying for you. And so what we're doing is we know that, that what we do spiritually moves things behind the scenes because there are things that are taking place in our life that we don't see. Just like when you watch a movie, you only see what's on the screen, but before we get to see what's on the screen, there's all kinds of stuff going on in the background. There's directors and producers and there's stunt doubles, except... Jackie Chan, he doesn't have a stunt double. He is his own stunt double, right? But there's all this stuff going on behind the scenes. And it's the same in our spiritual life. And so Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. He says, put on the full armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but instead against evil rulers and authorities of the, what kind of world? Unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And we talked about first week that what we do in the natural moves the spiritual, but then also what takes place and happens in the spiritual affects the natural. And so there are these spiritual principles that we wanna engage in. And, and the second week, um, Jonathan talked about what happens when we worship, what that engages in the spiritual, what's that the result of. And last week we talked about the principle of sowing and reaping, and that there are actions and attitudes and words and things that we have within our life that we are sowing and one day we will reap a harvest from that, right? Paul says that if you sow into the flesh, which is our sinful desires, our sinful nature, we will reap a harvest of death and destruction. But if we sow into our spirit, we reap eternal life. And you can go back and listen to last week's message to know that there's these different laws that are in place for that principle. And so, but this week I wanna talk about Fixing our thoughts. And I don't mean just fix it because it's broke, even though we do have broken thoughts at times, but fixing, stabilizing our thoughts in the right place. And if you think about your thoughts, if you think about the words that come out of your mouth, they are connected, and our thoughts and our mouth are really, like we direct and create and tear down and build up a lot of things with our thoughts and our words, right? And so we want to fix our thoughts and hang them, connect them, um, 
um, tie them to the right things. Um, our thoughts are also probably the place where we spend the majority of our time. Do you guys ever just get lost in thought? Where my nines at on the Enneagram? Come on, right? Where my introverts at, right? You're having all these conversations in your head and you're having them with other people practicing, right? And you're thinking how this is gonna play out. But I find myself having most of the conversations with myself in my head. Now, I wonder, like, if I'm talking to myself, who's listening? And if I'm listening to myself, who's actually doing the talking? Don't think about it too hard because you will just want to take a nap. That's what I tend to do, right? But our thoughts, guys, our thoughts, they influence our emotions. They influence our words. They influence our actions. They influence the quality of our life and the quality of our relationships. Would you agree? And so there was a study done in 2005 um, by the National Science Foundation, and they published this article, and it's just mind-blowing. And, you know, some of these, like, how do you really track these numbers, right? And so the average person has 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts a day. And that may seem astronomical or impossible, so I'm going to give you an assignment. Tomorrow I want you to track all your thoughts and see if you can keep count right? You're not going to make it to the car to drive to work, right? Because our thoughts are just going so fast. But what was really alarming to me is when I look at these stats is 80% of our thoughts are negative. Would you guys agree to that? Like, would you think that, that when you're thinking things, you're worrying, you're getting down on yourself, you're like wondering what they think about you and they probably think bad about you? You, you always play out the worst case scenario, and this is like even the worst part. 80, if 80% of our thoughts are negative, 95% of our thoughts are repetitive. Let that settle. So guess what we're doing? We are beating ourselves up every single day. We are making situations and scenarios worse than what we even know before we get there. And so we want to change how we're thinking our thoughts. 80% of our thoughts are negative, 95% of our thoughts are repetitive. And so I wanna just, just push pause real quick and just take a real quick inventory and think about the pattern of your thoughts. Are they negative or positive? And I, I, I promise you some of you are probably like, yeah, I'm a horrible person. My thoughts are so negative, right? So, so you're even going there making it negative, right? I see you, don't, don't look at me because I know, because I do it, right? So, so how do we adjust these thoughts? And so... I, Back in 2015, 2016, um, well, I, I went through a lot, just a lot of stuff. We moved from the town I grew up in to another church that was like five times the size of the church that I'd been serving in. I went from being a youth pastor to 100 kids to being an executive pastor to 1,500 people overseeing a staff of 12 and a $2 million budget and a 72,000 square foot building. My brain was exploding. But at the same time, my father passed away and I had another child. So if you look at the stressor levels, when you like look at the test you can take, like that's all the top. New job, moving, death of a family member, and a new kid, right? We've all experienced those one at a time, but for me, I experienced all of that in the course of like three years, two and a half to three years. And so I just found myself just, just like shut down. Like I would be in a room, but I wouldn't be in the room, right? Because I'm stuck where? With my thoughts. And so I went, and so finally I was like, I got to talk to somebody, you know, because I don't want to put this burden on my family. I don't want to talk to my, my boss really about it, my pastor. And so I, I went and 
you know, receive some counseling for a little while. And, and he told me this is what I was doing, that I was ruminating. You guys ever heard that term? Is that you're just thinking the same thought over and over and over. Go back to that stat. 80% of our thoughts are negative. 95% of our thoughts are repetitive. And so what I was doing is I was ruminating, just thinking the same thing over and over and over. And he said, do you know what, what rumination, that word comes from? Does anybody know? Any farmers in the house, right? When a cow is eating, it chews and chews and chews and chews, swallows it, and then guess what it does? <clears throat> Burps it back up, right? <laughs> I got you. You guys are not going to remember anything but that. His pastor burped on stage, right? Come on. Come on. I'm the man. No, I'm just getting pastor appreciation, right? <laughs> right? But think about how disgusting that was just then. Right? Pretty disgusting. Guest, please come back. I promise you I'm a nice guy. <laughs> right? But think about how disgusting that is. That's what a cow does. And it doesn't just do it once. I still can't believe I did that. I, that's how much I love you guys. I want to make a point. Right? Is a cow will burp that up, chew on it some more, swallow it back down. A cow will burp that up chew on it some more, and swallow it back down. Not just once, not twice, but does that several times. And so what he told me, he said, Stephen, you just keep burping up these negative thoughts, chewing on them, pushing them back down, but you're not taking care of them. And so what I want to help us do is take these negative thoughts that are behind the scenes that nobody else sees, that nobody else knows but you and your God. I want to help us get rid of them and take, take care of them. And so there's, there's, there's this passage in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. And I could really do a whole series on our thoughts. And I probably will, like, in the next year, because there's all these books that have been written, like The Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale, like, back in the 50s. And then you've got The Battlefield of the Mind by Joyce Myers and, you know, Crash the Chatterbox by Stephen Furtick. And Craig Rochelle just, just released a new book on winning the war in your mind. So, so we know like there's a war that's going on in the inside of our mind. And, and Paul tells this in 2 Corinthians. He says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down. And this is what he says we knock down. The strongholds of human reasoning and destroy the false arguments. Strongholds are um, like a fortified place of an area of weakness. Um, it's something that's built up. So these strongholds are made with human reasoning and thinking things through and false arguments, believing things that aren't true. And that's what we do in our mind. We build up these strongholds in our mind that are based on our reasoning and lies, right? Most of the negative thoughts we have are built on false reasoning and lies that we believe from the enemy. So, so this is what we do. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. So every proud obstacle, every stronghold, every rebellious thought, we take it captive and we teach it to obey Christ. And here's, here's what, what happens if, if we're not careful. We will allow these strongholds, these areas of weakness, these insecurities that we have, these, these negative thoughts that we have, we will allow that stronghold to isolate us and prevent us from moving in the direction God has called us to move. 
It will prevent us from becoming the man, the woman, the husband, the wife, the father, the mother, the businessman, the teacher. It will prevent us from breaking out of that into what God has called us to be and to do. And if we're not careful, we will miss out on what God has for us. And, and two of the most sobering stories of these, of these mental strongholds are found in Numbers chapter 13 and 1 Samuel 15. And I want to look real quick at Numbers chapter 13. And this is in the story of the exodus of the children of Israel. Moses has brought them out of Egypt. They've been wandering in the wilderness for you know, a couple of weeks at this point. And they, and they get right to the edge of the promised land. The land that God has set apart for them for generations he's had it for them. And God gives Moses some instructions to send some spies into the promised land so that they can see it, they can check it out. They want to know what the cities are like, like Moses wants to know what the soil's like, bring back some examples of the fruit, of some of the harvest. And so they do all of that. And they come back and they're like, yes, Moses, this land is truly a land flowing with milk and honey. Look at these grapes. The grapes they brought back were so big that it took two men to carry the cluster of grapes. And so they're celebrating and talking about all the great things that is in this city. And Caleb and Joshua, two of the 12, were trying to convince the people of Israel and the other, the other 10 that they can go in and take the city, that it's theirs, that the Lord has given it to them. But then you had some folks who were speaking negatively. And this is what we see in Numbers 13, 32 through 33. And so Joshua and Caleb tried to convince them to go in, but 10 other men that had explored with them said the land could not be taken. And this is what they said. The land that we traveled through and explored was wild, and it will devour anyone who will go to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that next line is, and that's what they thought too. So if they're saying, that's what they thought too. Guess who else was thinking that they were like grasshoppers compared to them, themselves. So now what they're doing is not only are they seeing themselves as inferior, seeing themselves as unable to take the land that God has promised to give them, but they're now, they're thinking that everyone else thinks that as well. And here's what I know is true in my life. I spend way more time thinking about what you're thinking about me than you actually think about me. Right? We spend way more time, you guys are like, what? How does that make sense? Right? We spend way more time thinking how someone else could be thinking negatively of us than they're actually thinking about us. And so what, what they are doing, they have now built this stronghold that is, is keeping them from moving into the promised land. And so what happens is like they are cursed by the very words that come out of their mouth. And the first generation of Israelites died wandering in the wilderness and did not enter into the promised land because of the stronghold. And the other story that, that, that for me is, is just really, it's almost too close for comfort. And it's the story of Saul, the first king of Israel. And it's in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And Saul was the first king of Israel, and God chose him. When he chose him, he was head and shoulders above everybody else. He comes from a clan, from a family that, that are known to be warriors. And when he gets selected and chosen as king, they can't even find him. He's so insecure that he's hiding in the baggage. Like, I don't know if he, like, have you ever gotten a suitcase? 
I've not, like not as an adult, right? But I remember as a kid getting in a suitcase and just trying to hide so nobody would see me. This, this is like a grown man that is hiding amongst the luggage because he's so insecure, so afraid that he's not gonna be able to accomplish what God is asking him to do that they can't find him. And so he struggles with this all throughout the reign of, of, of his office. And so there's this one opportunity in 1 Samuel 15 where God has given him the direction to completely destroy a people group, that he's not to leave anything, destroy the rulers, destroy all the livestock, destroy all the people. And instead of doing that, he disobeys and he brings the king and he brings some of the livestock to offer as a sacrifice. And this prophet named Samuel, who gave him the instructions, is looking for him. And they said, I think Saul's like in the middle of town and he's like building a, a monument to himself. And so Samuel goes to find Saul and he asks Saul, have you done everything that the Lord's told you to do? And Saul is like, I have done everything. And then Samuel just being like going in parent mode. Well, why do I hear goats and cows and sheep? Why do I hear that? Like you ever had your kid tell you that your room's clean? Like, like their room's clean, and then you go up. It's like, why are there shoes in the floor? You're lying, right? And so that's what Saul was doing in this moment is he was covering up from his disobedience. And I, like, like this hits so close to home for me in 1 Samuel 15, 17. Samuel the prophet tells Saul, he says, although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel. See, Saul had struggled with negative thoughts about himself and his situation from the very beginning. And as a result, he had created this stronghold in his mind that started how he saw himself. Those repetitive 80% negative self-talk. And that is now coming to reality. And the scary thing about this is Samuel the prophet tells Saul, this very day, the Lord has ripped the kingdom from your hands. Guys, I know we all struggle with insecurity. You can say you don't. Guess what? That's your insecurity, right? <laughs> God's called and anointed you guys in the areas of influence that you have. If you're a teacher, he's called and anointed you to be a teacher. If you're a mom, he's called and anointed you to be a mom. If you're a father, he's called and anointed you to be a father. Be secure in those things. If he's brought you into relationships with people and, and, and you doubt yourself being the type of friend that you need to be, know that he's called and anointed you to be in that relationship. Don't put yourself in a place to where it is ripped from your hands because of your insecurity. And so I share these two stories with you because they are so, so stinking close to home for me. Because I can't tell you, you know, Chris talked about, yes, it's been in my heart. It's been in our heart since 09 to plant a, a church in Murfreesboro. And then you get to it and you have all these doubts and all these questions. And I just kept replaying this, like, even with our family. Like, there's been so many times, like, I've ruined my family. Like, there's no way this is going to happen. And I keep replaying in my mind, I don't want to miss out on God's promises like the children of Israel did. I'm not a very good communicator. Like, I lose stuff and forget stuff all the time. How, <laughs> like, people laugh, because you know, right? Just two weeks ago, I was missing a set of keys. And I had locked my other set of keys in my car. This is the story of my life. Um, and so we call the locksmith. 
And it's a locksmith that I'd seen before because when we first moved here, I locked a set of keys in our truck when we lived in Smyrna. And I was like, hey, how's, how, how you been? It's been a couple years. Yeah, I've locked my keys in my car. And so he is trying to unlock my car. And I'm telling him about the church, how it's going, and how much I enjoyed working at FedEx. And we're just having good conversations. And I'm kicking the grass as he's trying to unlock my car. And I see something sparkle in the grass. And I'm like, what? Hey, dude, you can stop. <laughs> you can stop. I just, I just found my keys that have been gone for like two weeks in the yard. That's my life. And so this insecure thought is like, how can I lead a church? I can't even keep up with kids or keys. I can keep up with my kids. <laughs> okay, real talk. As I was saying that, because even though I'm talking to you, I'm having a conversation with myself, all right? Because there was this one time <laughs> when I only had two kids, <laughs> and we were going to register to have my third kid, and I walk in to the hospital because I dropped Jennifer off to register for delivery, and she's like, where's Addison? And I'm like, I left her in the car and completely forgot. So don't trust me with your kids or your keys, but you can trust me with your spiritual growth. I promise, right? <laughs> I promise. But so I wrestle with all this. But then I go back to this verse where it says, although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader that God's called you to be? The Lord has anointed you. And so what strongholds, are in your life that you're wrestling with because we all have them. And, and, and what happens, what we see play out behind the scenes is the negative thoughts, the false thoughts of how we view God, how we think about our situations, how we view ourselves. But what plays out on the screen is disobedience. And we think we're just negative, we're down on ourselves. But what actually comes to fruit, we talk about sowing and reaping, the fruit of that becomes disobedience. The children of Israel disobeyed and did not go into the promised land. Saul disobeyed and did not do what God told him to do. And I promise you, I know because it's me. The negative thoughts that I have, these strongholds, prevent me at times from being obedient to the things God's called me to do. And I think he will understand or be okay because of my insecurities. Like, God, you know how I am. And he was like, yeah, I created you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. I put you together piece by piece in your mother's womb. Stop thinking so little of yourself. And so how do these strongholds get built? Well, you know, maybe for the children of Israel, it's because they had been enslaved for 400 years, 700 years, generation after generation. So maybe we have these because of experiences that we have. Maybe it's generational. Saul had these insecurities because he was the tallest. He was head and shoulders above everyone else. And we see that as a great thing. But if you know people who are really, really tall, so much taller than everybody else, there's some insecurity there. And then you even read about Paul, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And, and he's writing this about strongholds. And at one point in Scripture, he even prays about this thorn that he has in his flesh, and he asks God to take it away three times. And Chris and I were talking about that a little bit this morning. Like, was it, was it a physical thing? Was it a sin? What is it? I don't know. Could it be a stronghold? 
Could it be an insecurity, a negative thought? Because before Paul became a church planter, he was disrupting Christianity. He was imprisoning Christians. He stood and held the coats of all the religious leaders that stoned Stephen to death. Could it be that that experience creeps up every once in a while and replays? It's like, God, how are you using me? Like, I've killed your people. And God said, but I've still chosen you. And we've all had these experiences either where we've messed up Maybe we have some generational things. Maybe someone has spoken something into your life, and now that 80% of negative thoughts is repeating 95% of the time. And it's just echoing, it's just echoing, it's just echoing. So, so, so how do we deal with it? What are your strongholds? What are your negative thoughts about yourself, about your situation, about your God? Paul says this is what we have to do. We have to tear down these strongholds. We have to destroy these, these obstacles. We capture the thoughts. We take hold of them, and we make them obedient to Christ. And so the first thing is this. It's like, this is so simple, but it's so stinking hard. We have to recognize the stronghold. Like, what is it? Call it. Put a name to it. What is it that keeps repeating, that's constantly recurring, that is untrue, that is negative, what cud, right, are you chewing, swallowing, spitting back up, chewing, swallowing, spitting back up, trying to fix it, trying to, to, to flip it? You have to recognize it, identify what it is. And no one may know, but those close to you probably do. And I promise you, if you said something, you're afraid that they would think less of you. This isn't in my notes. They wouldn't think, you're afraid they'll think less of you. What you're doing is you're keeping yourself in a stronghold alone. But if you would find someone that you trust, that you're close to, and bring them in on that conversation, they will help you flip the script. And so for me, like, like when I moved here, and you know, I was 40 years old, I was, you know, having to get a part-time job, slinging boxes at, at FedEx, and I'm like, I could be like all of my coworkers' dads. My trainer was 19. I'm like, you just started shaving. Like, <laughs> like you literally had your license three years, and now you're telling me what to do. This doesn't make, and so I'm, I'm telling the, my, like my counselor, I was like, I'm, I, I can't, like, what am I doing with my life? And he said, you can view it that way or you can flip it and say you're willing to do anything to take care of your family and fulfill the vision that God's put in your life. Okay, I can do that. But here's what the enemy does. The enemy hits repeat on the negative thought and the false lie, and that's what gets played over and over. So we have to recognize it, and then we have to do this. We have to remove and replace it. And those two things go together. You just can't remove it because then you have a void, and it's gonna fill itself with something. And you can't just replace it without removing it because what you're doing is you're just wedging it in there with something else. We have to remove it and replace it. We have to combat the lie, the negative thought with the truth from God's word. And so how do we do that? Well, you take some time. You get a notebook. You get a piece of paper. You get a journal. And you start writing these negative thoughts down. You start writing these negative ideas down. This is my journal when I was first moving here, and I would just run out of words, not know what to say. 
And so this was on October the 11th, 2019. It's hard to believe that's two years ago, guys. Like, I feel like we just got here. Some days it feels like six weeks. Other years it feels like six years. But days like today, I feel like we just started. And so I wrote this, and I said, Jesus, this morning, I woke up and I'm sweating. My mind's already racing with all the things left undone or things that I need to do. God, I only see failure in my future. I don't know if this is your spirit of wisdom trying to give me direction or prod me or if it's the schemeful plans of the enemy, but these are the things that I'm giving to you today. And so I put my personal finances. My income from my previous church ends in December, and I'm worried how my family will survive because we lose over half of our income at that point. So that's the negative thought. So I wrote it down, and I want to replace it with Philippians 4.9, and the same God who cares for me will give your needs from his glorious riches, which has been given to us through Jesus Christ. Remove the negative. Replace it with God's word. God, I need 45 people to, for the launch team. I currently have 11. <laughs> God, I need 45 people. I currently have 11. I need 20 by the end of November. I'm overwhelmed with just the very thought of that. Luke 13, 29, and people will come from all over the world to take their place in the kingdom from the east, the west, the south, and the north. We have people from Florida, from California, from New York, from Tennessee, from Alabama, from Mississippi. Replace the negative with the positive. God, I need to raise another $30,000. I currently have 22, 27. If I count money that I've sort of spent towards the church, I'm worried about this. Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. My mind is a complete wreck right now. It's so full of negativity and anxiety. I know what I need to do, but I'm frozen. Philippians 4, 6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace without, which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace will guard your heart and your mind. And so I did the work and I wrote down all these negative thoughts. And so for you, what is it? It may not be four. It may just be one, but it's on repeat over and over and over. And so like I was writing these on my mirror. I put them on post-it notes so that when I had that thought, I would see that. And can I tell you, it didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen overnight. And so I told, mentioned this guy earlier, Vincent, um, Nor, or Norman Vincent Peale. He wrote the, the Power of Positive Thinking. He was a pastor in the 50s. And um, he has another little book. It's called Thought Conditioners. And it's an ebook. It's like six pages front and back. I want to encourage you, go Google Thought Conditioners. It's going to pop up, download, download it, print it off. He gives us like 40 verses to help recondition our thoughts. Because that's what we have to do, right? We have to recondition our thoughts. And, and he makes this statement. He says, displacement is the only way you can drive a negative thought from the mind. Displacement. All right, so, so what does that mean, Stephen? Um, Zach, this is where I'm calling on you, my good-looking dude. Bring um, all of that that's in the floor right there. I'm going to show you what displacement looks like. Um, I want the picture, too. Yes, sir. All of it. All of it. Um, let's set it right here. Um, somebody asked me earlier, it was like, so is that how you're going to make it through service today? Um, <laughs> it, it is grape juice, 100%. All right. So this, I'm, I'm going to show you what, what displacement looks like. And, and he makes another statement. 
and he says, we have to utilize fractional moments. I'm going to let you hold the glass. So give me the picture. I'm going to let you hold the glass. Make sure you hold it right over that jug. So he, he, he makes this statement that we have to utilize fractional moments. And so what are fractional moments? Well, they're moments when we're in waiting. They're these little snippets of time. And so the, like the big thing right now is like micro purchases. That's how the app stores get all your money because you sign up for a 99 cent a month subscription and then you forget about it. And so over the course of five to 10 years, you paid them a dollar a month micro purchases. And so what, what he's saying is, is you have to have these fractional moments, your hand's going to get wet, but it's cool. And so, so, so you, you have all these negative thoughts, God, this church isn't ever going to take off. I don't know what I'm doing. And so you replace it with God's word with a fractional moment. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not come against it. God, I don't know what I'm doing. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. God, I need $30,000. I will provide everything for you. And it looks like it's not doing much. But over time, as you're washing yourself with the word of God, all these negative thoughts are getting displaced. They're getting weaker. They're getting weaker and weaker. And as you continue to do it, we have displaced all of those negative thoughts with pure thoughts from the word of God. Now, we want, thank you, you guys, give Zach a hand, all right? right. But, but, but even more so than that, it's like we want it to happen automatically. It doesn't happen automatically. It happens moment by moment, prayer by prayer, scripture by scripture, in fractional moments, displacing all the negative by, by recognizing, removing, and replacing, recognize, removing, and replacing. And I say all of that because it's going on behind the scenes and nobody knows it but you and God. Nobody knows it. And what we're doing in that process, we're talking about fixing our thoughts. What we're doing is we are fixing our thoughts on better things. The prophet Isaiah says this, and, and, and we're gonna close here. Isaiah 26, verse three says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust you and all whose thoughts are fixed on you. And we look at this word fix, and it's not just about taking something that's broken and repairing it. But when you look up this word fix and, and, and what it means is it means to place on, to hang on, to steady. And so what we're doing is we are placing our thoughts on the things of God. And we're allowing that to break down the stronghold in these areas of weakness. And instead of it becoming a stronghold, it is rebuilt by God's word as a place of safety and refuge. And so I don't know like where you are today. I don't know what is running through your mind, what your 80% of thoughts that are on repeat that seem to play over and over and over. But I know, Paul says, that we don't use worldly weapons. In Ephesians, he tells us, he gives us one weapon as we're putting on the full armor of God. We get one weapon, and that weapon is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That is the only thing that you can use to combat the war that's on the inside. Paul says there's another work, just 
like right as soon as I want to do good, something is right there causing me to do to do wrong. And so I want to do this. I want us to close our eyes and bow our head, and, and I, I want to go here first. And I know there's people in here that God brought you here today to enter into relationship with Him, but I think even even also that there's those of you in here that you've got this war in your mind and you're afraid to say anything to someone because you're afraid of what they will think about you. It's like, we're like grasshoppers compared to them and that's what they think too. But there's someone who thinks way more than you and way more about you. The psalmist says that that his thoughts about you outnumber the stars and the grains of sand on the shore. And if we fix our thoughts on him, then we receive that peace. And so if you're here today and and you're ruminating, you're thinking the same negative thoughts about yourself over and over, maybe it's a situation, maybe it's, it's someone else and I want to pray for strength and discipline and consistency and persistence for you to replace it with God's word. And if that's you, would you just very quickly lift your hand? Hands in every section. Awesome. Awesome. Let me pray for you first. Father, I just come to you, God. You see their hands. God, more importantly, you know their hearts. God, that whatever areas of strongholds that the enemy has built up to hold them captive, God, by the authority that is in the name of Jesus, God, the name of which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. God, I command that stronghold to weaken. I command that stronghold to break down. God, that they will not fix their thoughts on themselves and who they think they're not and who they think they're supposed to be, but they would fix their thoughts on you and what you say about them, what you promise for them, what you've already given to them, God. God, that they would walk in that confidence. God, even even as we pray now, if there's anyone in here today that does not know you as their savior, as their Lord, as their director, as their protector, as their provider, as their source of peace. If there's anyone here in here today that does not have a relationship with you, or maybe they've, they've strayed and walked away from you, God, I pray that even in this moment, they're simply saying, Jesus, I give you my life. I'm saying, Jesus, I give you my life. I'm sorry for what I've done. Forgive me where I've fallen short. Come into my life. Make my heart new. Restore to me my joy. I will do my best to follow you all the days of my life. So God, we thank you for your presence in this room today. God, we thank you for your word. Let it, let it pierce our heart. Let it be sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, bone and marrow, revealing who we are and changing us into who you want us to be. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. Come on, let's give God a hand clap this morning. Listen.